greeting to all of those who are watching on the streaming video. Uh, sometimes we don't always recognize that there are individuals who are watching, but we give a shout out to them as well. And uh, this video is put up on the uh, website. So uh, if you happen to fall asleep partly during it and you want to catch something up that <laughs> I said, you can, you can do that. Today is Father's Day. And uh, it's one of those holidays that come around and we uh, usually get a cookout and uh, maybe a steak or something. I don't know. Fathers are enjoyable in doing that. But it's also Juneteenth, which many of you may never have heard of before. But it was just made a national holiday uh, by our government and it remembers uh, the last group of slaves who were freed back in 1865 down in Texas when they finally received their freedom. So it's also an important day to celebrate uh, the end of slavery uh, in the United States. Uh, but today we're going to look at Father's Day, and so I encourage you to turn to Proverbs chapter 3, uh, verses uh, one, in, 1 through 12, and uh, we'll read through that right now, if you'll turn there and follow along. My son, don't forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments, for they will bring you many days of full life and well-being. Never let loyalty and faithfulness leave you. Tie them around your neck. Write them on the, on the tablet of your heart. Then you will find favor with, and high regard with, good, with God and people. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him or know him and he will make your path straight. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. This will be a healing for your body and strengthening for your bones. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first produce of your entire harvest. Then your barns will be completely filled and your vats will overflow with new wine. Do not despise the Lord's instruction, my son, and do not loathe his discipline. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, just as a father disciplines the son in whom he delights. And may God bless the reading of his word today. We, we all have or had fathers, and our culture and um, nation think about fathers in different ways, some a little bit more humorous than others. So someone once said, what is a dad? He's the one you ask when mom says no. Or um, a father carries pictures in his wallet where his money used to be. <laughs> Those kinds of things. But fathers are very important. And uh, we need to pay attention not only to our fathers and thank God for them, but also to how God wants us to be a father. I, I've always thought about writing a movie, and I wanted to call it The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly about fathers, but that was already taken, and I didn't think fathers would like it if I called them ugly. But 
sometimes we have good fathers and sometimes we have bad fathers and sometimes we have so-so fathers. So I was going to call it the good, the bad, and the so-so. You may be a father, and the question would be, are you a good father or a bad father or a so-so father? No father is perfect, and probably the majority of us are so-so, in the sense that sometimes we do the right things and sometimes we don't, because we're human and we're sinners. And even if we do know Christ Jesus as our Lord and Savior, it's awful hard to be a father and to do the best that we can. We need to ask the question not only about our own character, but about how we teach our children. How we teach our children. Billy Graham said, a good father is one of the most unsung, unpraised, unnoticed, and yet one of the most valuable assets in our society. Our society is lamenting the fact that we have lost the fathers, and they seem to have been, um, have disappeared. One of the things we need to do is realize that our job as a father is to educate our children, our family, particularly our sons. Uh, a Chinese proverb said, if a son is uneducated, his dad is to blame. And Confucius said, the father who does not teach his son his duties is equally guilty with the son who neglects them. So it's important for us to understand that we are called to be fathers and fathers are called to teach and to live in a way that teaches their children how to live as well. But fathers sometimes aren't the best and they make mistakes. But there is in the Bible um, 10 practical lessons from a gentleman by the name of Solomon. And he wrote these to, Sol to his son. We don't know which son. He had a lot of wives, but apparently one who would follow him. And he wrote these lessons to his son in chapter 3 of Proverbs. Uh, we're only going to take a look at five of them, and then perhaps we could do the remaining five later on. But the point is this. Solomon was maybe a so-so father, you know. He wasn't always the greatest. He made mistakes, just like David, his father. But Solomon was gifted by the Lord God to give us some lessons, some principles, some ideas that would help us to be a father, help us to be a good father and one that serves faithfully in teaching um, our children how to grow. There's a quote I wanted to read here. And it said that my father didn't tell me how to live. He lived and let me watch him do it. So one of the greatest things that we can do is live a life that honors God and teaches our children what it means to be a good father and how to grow as a father, maybe not perfectly, but to learn to trust on the one who can make us a good father. And that's what Solomon says here in these verses. So we're going to take a look at these uh, 12 verses. There's five points that come from these verses that would be well for us to do and to follow as good servants of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Number one is to learn how to live a long life. Now, people are always striving to think that they're eternal and they want to get the best, all the gusto they can out of life, particularly men's advertisements are sort of gained toward, geared towards this. 
And we have to understand that Solomon also was trying to teach his son how to live a, a good life. The fifth commandment um, said, Honor thy father and mother that thy, that thy days or your days may be long upon the, the earth, which the Lord thy God has given thee. The days that you have, you do it in a way to honor your parents, and you learn and you grow and you live a long life. Well, Solomon gives us some clues about a long life in the very first four verses. So let's go through that if you take your Bibles there in chapter 3, verse 1. Solomon says, don't forget, don't let my teaching disappear. Uh, this word teaching means instruction and guidance and direction. And he says, let your heart keep my commands or commandments. Uh, the subject, the heart, it occurs about 90 times in Proverbs, and it probably means your mind as well as your heart, the very being. The, the Hebrew people felt that a person was complete. They didn't divide it up into body, soul, and spirit. They thought everybody was totally complete. And he says to go here to make sure you don't forget this, to forget his instruction or his commands or his guidance. And there's a reason for this. Because he tells them in verse 2 that they, his commands, his guidance, what he's going to tell his son here, will do something. There will be a result from it. And the result will be that he will have many days and many years, meaning uh, many days and a full life, and he will have peace, shalom. It's literally, it says that he will have peace. He will have peace in all of his life and his times because he's listened to his father and particularly these commandments and these instructions that uh, Solomon was about to give him. He wrote them down and said, this is what you really need to do. And he starts out there in trying to tell him that the result of a long life, a life that is peaceful, a long life that is spiritually satisfying and physically satisfying, a life that matters for time and eternity, has certain qualities that you have to pay attention to. One of those, he says there in verse 3, he says, never let loyalty and faithfulness leave you. Loyalty and faithfulness leave you. Don't ever let it leave you, and meaning keep it. Um, he's going to talk about guarding these things, but um, this loyalty and faithfulness is an important concept because it, it, in the culture of Solomon's day, points us back to one foundational, solitary fact about what matters in life and what matters in time and eternity and what thing you can teach your child, your sons, your daughters that's the most important thing of all. Now, you could take these two words and say, uh, loyalty and say, oh, we got to be loyalty, loyal to our family, loyal to, to our boss, loyalty to our country. But this kind of loyalty is, doesn't really mean this. It means something even more deeper and more spiritually important. And so is the word faithfulness here. Faithfulness means reliability, meaning you're true to it. That word, that phrase, true blue, means you're, you're, this is it, and you're true to this principle, and you're going to hold on to this principle, and this principle is loyalty. Now, what happens here is that Solomon uses the word loyalty that comes from the covenant 
that God has made with his people Israel. And you've heard this word before. It's the word hesed. So he isn't saying just go out and be a good, loyal person to whatever you need to be loyal to. He's saying here, you need to be loyal to what God created you to be and what God has called you to be, and that's part of his covenant family. You need to have a loyalty to God, a loyalty and a faithfulness to God, to the way that God has called you to live and to be a part of the covenant. Now, here's the great King Solomon saying, loyalty is an important part. I'm not asking you to be loyal to me, but you need to be loyal to God. And if you're loyal to God, you will have a long life. You will find that he will bless you with a life that you can live, a full life. Now, a full life may not be a life that's so long in years, but it's a life lived in satisfaction of our hearts and in and in forgiveness of God's uh, love and in his faithfulness because we're being faithful to him, to love him, to have steadfast love. So never let steadfast love and faithfulness leave you. In fact, Solomon, say, says, Solomon says, tie them around your neck and write them on the tablet of your heart. And if you do that, you're paying attention to them. Now, two of the most famous little silver scrolls. They're a little piece of silver that was flattened out and then written on it were some words. And those words were then rolled up and they found them in a tomb outside of Jerusalem on the side of a hill. And apparently they were rolled up and they were used as maybe an amulet not necessarily a good luck charm, but something to remember. And it said on that amulet, Deuteronomy 6.4, the Lord is our God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. And that was supposed to be what you remembered. The Deuteronomy tells us we should write those words on the doorpost, write them as signs around our, our hands and our head to remember, to, to focus on the fact that our God is the one we are called to love. And we are to follow him because we're to love him with all our hearts and our minds. Jesus said that's the very first commandment. And so what we need to do is focus on them. What we focus on usually directs what we do because we got it in our minds so much that it moves us and we think about it all the time. So why shouldn't we focus on God's word? Why shouldn't we focus on that which moves us to be loyal, to be loving, steadfast love and faithfulness? The reason that we memorize scripture is to put those good words of God in our hearts and in our lives so that God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, can use them to help us love others and to grow, and to do the things that honor God and that are faithful to him. I mean, that's the point. What we put in ourselves, God can use to share with others. Have you ever heard of GIGO? GIGO is a computer term. If you know anything about computers, garbage in, garbage out, because computers are actually very dumb. They only do what the programmer programs it to do. 
If you put garbage in, all you're going to get out of it is garbage. But if you put good things in, if you put scripture in, if you put God's word, then you're going to get it out. If you spend your time building your relationship with Jesus Christ, with God the Father, then that's going to be rewarded. That's going to come back out. That's going to give you a full life, a spiritually satisfied life. And as doctors say, people who pray seem to be physically better. Then we'll be physically better. But I know that what Solomon is trying to tell his son here is to make sure that he holds on to that relationship that he should have with God. He says this in verse 4, Then, as a result of this, if you do this, you will find favor in the eyes of God and the people and high regard in the eyes of God and people. You want to be a real influencer. <laughs> you don't need to get a TikTok account. You don't need to go on Facebook. You don't need to evaluate every little cultural fad and whim that blows one way or the other. If you really want to be an influencer, then you hold on to this steadfast love and this faithfulness and reliability and you will find favor with God. And as a result, you really will find favor with people because those who are really searching will see that you're different. And your basic foundational principle is to be connected to God to help you connect to other people. And that's exactly what the covenant is all about. Number two, learn how to find God's guidance. If God is so important for us as fathers and Christian believers, then how do we find God's guidance? And Solomon tells his son this in verse 5 and verse 6 are probably the most favorite or famous verses of all of the text here in the book of Proverbs. You may have heard people quote these two verses over and over again. But what's really interesting about these two verses is that these two verses are smack dab in the middle of Solomon's speaking to his son. And that's why this is important of how to find God's guidance. How do you find out what God wants you to do? Well, this is what he says. Verse 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart. There's that heart again. He said, write this stuff on the tablet of your heart. Put it around your neck. Put it in the tablet of your heart. He said, trust the Lord with all your mind and heart and very being. Because remember, the Jewish people here, the Old Testament doesn't see us bifurcated in different places. Some early Christians said, well, I can trust him for my soul, but my body and my mind can do other things. That's heresy. That has been recognized that. If the body is made up of three parts, then we need to have all three parts trusting in the Lord. I think it's, we're just one. And we're all connected together in one whole that God made that created us in his image. And that's what we need to do. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Here this word L-O-R-D means is God's personal name. It's not just that you talk about God out there like he's a thing out there. But this is his name, so you know him. We call it the tetragrammaton. 
And it's just four letters. Nobody knows exactly how to pronounce it. And by the way, if you ever thought about it, <clears throat> anytime your Bible has capital L, capital O, capital R, and capital D, that's God's personal name in the Old Testament. You notice that the little, the O, R, and D is smaller than the big L, but they're all capitals. If you see a capital L, then a little O, a little R, and a little D, that's a different word. That really means just Lord or Master. But this is the Tetragrammaton, God's personal name. And he says, trust in the God who has a personal name. And that name is a name you can call upon. That is a, someone who you can have a personal relationship with. And you need to trust in him, in God's name, in God, the one who comes to us and who gave us his son Jesus to die on the cross. So he says, trust in this personal God <clears throat> that you have a relationship with all your heart. And do not rely on your own understanding. In all your ways, know him or acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. See, the interesting thing about finding God's guidance is that we don't look for our, his guidance or what to do according to our own understanding. We don't call up neighbors. We don't check out in the TV Dr. Phil or Oprah or anyone else. We don't even read all the self-help gurus that are out there. That may be good advice. That might not be bad you know, suggestions, but it's not from God totally. We got to double check it. We got to go to the source. We got to go to God himself. And we have to seek what he wants us to do, his favor, his desires. We don't need to rely upon our own understanding. You can get a, a PhD in something. You can go do doctoral fellowships. You can be heralded by the whole world as the greatest expert in a field. But if it isn't from God, it isn't worth knowing. We have to go and seek God and Him and not rely upon our own understanding. Again, we don't want to divide ourselves up in so many different ways. And it says, in all your ways, you know, well, I'm going to do it this way, and I'm going to do that way, I'm going to be this, and I'm going to be that. Solomon says, in all your ways, know him. In other words, let him in the door of your heart. Don't just keep him in the living room. And don't say, Jesus, just take a nice comfortable seat here. I'm not going to let you into the den or to the, to the back kitchen or whatever. And we think we can compartmentalize God and put him in places and leave him out of all of our life. But Solomon is saying, <coughs> do this in all your ways in everything you do, in all of the paths that you take. You know, know him, keep him by you, be acquainted with him. The word know here means not just to know from acquaintance or hearsay, but to know personally with a relationship. Know him, and as a result, he will make your paths straight. This word straight means upright and straight. Sin always turns you one way or the other, or it makes you crooked. But God's ways are always upright. They're straight. And he will make all your paths, all your ways straight. And that's what he's saying here. To learn how to find God's guidance, you've got to trust in him. 
and not seek guidance on your own or from other people. In, learn, in knowing to learn how to find God's guidance you need, Solomon is telling his son, uh, you need to rely on, on him and his will and to let him be involved in all of your life and your, your ways will be straight. Number three, he says to us, learn how to avoid spiritual sickness, he's telling his son. And he wants us not only to learn to be what is successful in life and learn how to find what God wants you to do, he wants you to also be able to turn to the things that are proper and rewarding in far as spiritual issues are concerned. So here's what he says in verse, uh, verses uh, 7 through 8, and we'll read this. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. This will be healing for your body and strengthening for your bones. Now, some medical people have suggested that those who pray, that those who have faith, seem to have either better health or they know how to um, actually deal with problems of health in a better way in terms of struggle whenever our bodies aren't quite right. But Solomon is saying to his son, you need to avoid spiritual um, illnesses and you need to be able to recognize that these sicknesses can be solved and spiritually by getting the right remedy. He says, first of all, in verse 7, um, don't be wise in your own eyes. Now, wisdom here, this word wise, is a key word throughout the whole book of Proverbs. In fact, there was a whole group of people, we call this the Solomonic Enlightenment, of people who sought wisdom. And it's true, all through the ancient Near East in the days of Solomon before, people were trying to be wise and they were talking about how to be wise. And some of them came up with these little sayings, aphorisms, and they memorized all these. Or they remembered all the names of the animals and the things. And there was a kind of a scientific uh, experiment going on where they began to learn and try to categorize all kinds of life, to be wise in the eyes of other people. And we call that sage, the sage, the wise one. And the Bible talks about the wise one, how to be wise. The one who is wise does certain things. And Solomon says here, don't. Uh, be wise in your own eyes. Now, he's not just talking about being proud and, and egotistic and all of that. He's also talking about how one comes to a knowledge of what really is wise. And later in Proverbs and other places, going the beginning of wisdom is what? The fear of the Lord. So he echoes this when he says, fear the Lord and turn away from the bad. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. There's a choice here. Don't be wise in your own eyes thinking you can be successful, that you know the strategies, that you know the ways to deal with things and circumstances in people. Respect the Lord, honor him, fear him, and turn away from evil and trust his strategy. Trust what he wants you to do. And then... Sometimes if you say that's above my pay grade and we trust in him, then he says as a result, you will have healing 
for your body. There will be healing uh, for, literally, it says, for your gut. <laughs> You'll have healing for your gut. And it will be like a drink for your bones. You'll refresh your bones. You'll be able to be healed uh, in your body and in your bones. God will be able to take care of you. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of a company called Rafa or Rafa. They were a, um, they were a mental health uh, counseling service. Well, that's the word that's used here, Rafa, healing. Healing in your uh, body and, and healing and strengthening in your bones. Literally, you will nourish your physical life and your spiritual life. And you won't be ill, but you'll be healthy. But the only way to do that is not to be wise in your own eyes, not to pump up your own pride and your own self-centeredness importance, and yet at the same time turn away from that and look to the Lord and fear him and turn from evil. Learn to let the Lord guide you in all aspects of your life, and he will help you to have spiritual health and healing. Number four is learn how to receive what you need. Now, Solomon is going down through this list to help his son recognize the importance of God in his life. And God is the one who can help him have a long life. He needs to learn how to find God's guidance. He needs to learn how to avoid the things that won't help him be healthy spiritually. And he needs to learn how to get or receive exactly what he needs to live this life, this long life, this life that's blessed by God and that will bless others. And so he tells him in verses 9 and 10 that there's a way to get everything he needs. Now notice that we're not talking about everything he wants because there's a lot of things we want but not that we need. The Lord God will give us all of our need, you know, but not necessarily all the things we want because, you know, we want all the shiny new things. We want all the things the TV advertisers say we should have. We want whatever makes us to look good in the eyes of Hollywood and the world and, and our neighbors. And what God is saying, I can give you exactly what you need. And that which you need will help you to live a good life, will help you avoid spiritual sickness, and will bless you as you walk with God. So this is what he says in verse 9. He literally says, Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first produce of your har entire harvest. Then your barns will be completely filled and your vats will overflow with new wine. He says, what you need to do is honor the Lord. You know, literally honor him with all that you have, with your possessions and with whatever you produce. And then your barns will be overflowing um, and your vats will overflow. Now, of course, this is somewhat of an agricultural society. So Solomon is, tell Solomon is telling his son and using terms that would... Talk about what means that you're, what it means to be successful in your society. If you have storehouses that are full of, of, of your grain and corn and your animals and all of that, and you have 
um, olive vats and, and uh, grape vats, and they're overflowing with this new wine. Tirosh is a new wine, is, is meaning what, what, you're, um, what you've just produced. It's not old stuff you've had kept around for a long time, but you're continuing to produce. You're continuing to be successful. He says the way to do that is to honor the Lord. Uh, what does it mean to honor the Lord? Well, the word here means honors is to means literally to make him heavy. Now you have to understand, I'm going to give you the hippie expression and understanding and explanation for this. So if you, you're old enough to know what a hippie is, you know, you'll, you'll understand this later. But it turns out this way, the liver is the most heaviest organ in the body, supposedly, or at least in ancient times. So much so that its weight seemed to mean that it had importance. So ancient man, the Babylonians and others, would cut open a sheep or an animal and look at its liver. And somehow or another, the nodes and the indentations and the way the liver looked could tell you the future. No joke. So they made these liver models. We find them in archaeology, and <clears throat> they're, they're all over the place. And some of them were just um, plank, plain. Maybe they were using these as tools or instruments, uh, teaching objects. But some of them actually had things written on them. So here's the deal. If you cut open a, a ritual animal, and it had this kind of liver, and it looked like this, it would say a new king is going to come. And they wrote this on there. Or someone will invade your land. And we got these liver models and stuff written on them in, in a Babylonian and Assyrian that try to tell <coughs> exactly the future. And the liver was the heaviest thing. Well, it turns out that the word for liver, kaved in Hebrew, is the root word for which we get the word honor. Believe it or not, the word honor, kavod, comes from this word for liver. And this is where the hippie interpretation comes in. Because the hippie, when he said something was good, he would say, heavy, man. Right? Heavy. Now, it's a little bit of a joke, but it, it's, it's kind of true. So you need to make God heavy in your life. To cherish him, to think that it's good to do this, to include him, to consider his wishes and his desires, that's what it means to honor God. He's not the guy that you put in, in you know, put a chair with the child's table. He's the one you give the first chair, the most important place at your feast or in your home. He's the person you honor. You honor God by giving him that understanding. By the way, the word for glory is kavod as well. It comes from that same word. God receives glory because he's the most heaviest or he's the most important. He is really the one who can tell the future, who can guide us. You don't have to dig open a, or get uh, animal livers and try and you know, tell the future by that or see the stars or anything else. God's more important than that. And in fact, the heavens tell the glory of God, his heaviness, his importance. And so what Solomon is saying to his son is, 
If you really want to get what you need, give God first place in your life. Give God first place in what you do. Give God first place in how you deal with your possessions and with your property. Some people will say, well, I got money in my pocket. I'm going to go buy something. Well, somebody said to me, how do you know if God wants me to buy this? And if that's according to God's will. And I say, well, the very first thing is, can you honor God with this purchase? I mean, there's lots of choices. So does God get honored because you buy a, a sports car or maybe you just get a sedan or a SUV or a something? I mean, it seems a little trivial, but sometimes it really matters how we honor God. Because we ask the question, how can God get glory from this? How can I use this purse, this possession, this purchase to do God's work? to help God's, the gospel be sent abroad? How can I help to honor God in this purchase in my life? And maybe, maybe the question would be, maybe we don't need to purchase it because it's something that we want to be self-satisfied over it. We want to be egotistic and stingy and, and, you know, spoiled by buying this. I got to have this one. I got to have this one. Rather than say, God, which one do you want me to do? How do you want me to use my money? How do you want me to use what you've given to me? How do you want me to give you glory through the things you have blessed me with? Because you thank people who give you things. So why not thank God who gives us all of life and the things that we really need and give glory and honor to him and say, thank you, Lord. And then mean it and let other people know about it, that we give him glory and honor because he gives us what he needs. And then the last point is to learn how to handle troubles. Now there's five more things that, that Solomon talks about, but we don't have time to talk about them today. But the last one that we're going to look at is learn how to handle troubles. Because he wants his son to know that there is a goal of living a full life before God. There is a goal of trying to learn how God can, can guide us. And certainly he wants to avoid spiritual problems and illness, and he wants to know how to receive and how to get what we need. But he also wants him to learn that, to know that life is not so easy and it's full of conflicts. And so sometimes you've got to learn some things from God. Sometimes the conflicts come between two people or two groups. And sometimes, to be honest, they come from ourselves between us and God. And so we need to kind of recognize that God's also in this to help us deal with these conflicts and to help us to have a peaceful and satisfying life. Notice that peaceful and satisfying life doesn't mean the, the, uh, the absence of conflict. That's not what God is doing. God disciplines us and teaches us because we need to remind, remember how to serve him and live for him but also, some of the greatest teaching that God does to us or for us is when he disciplines us, and we learn from it. So this is what Solomon says in verses 11 and 12. Do not despise the Lord's instruction. Now, this word instruction here is different from the word of, in verse 1, do not forget my instruction or teaching. This word here literally means uh, do not reject... Uh, my, um, 
my discipline, actually, uh, the discipline that God is going to lay before him, uh, do not reject that. Um, and then he says, um, uh, do not loathe his discipline. These two words for discipline um, are there. Uh, one of those is the word um, Mosar here, and the other one is the word takats. Uh, um, anyway, the point is that they're, they're like um, the idea of, let's see where I wrote this down. Yeah, here we are. The, the instruction or chastisement or discipline, and then the second one would be reproof or reprimand that the Lord helps us to got to know what to do when he gently and some and lovingly and sometimes very uh, openly uh, chastises us. In other words, we are to listen to God's care. And when he disciplines us, we are to thank him and understand that he's doing that to help us grow and to learn how to handle troubles. So he tells him, my son, don't despise this, this, this discipline, even these instructions. Sometimes they can be seen to be something that hogties us or keeps us. But God is saying, here's what I want you to do. Here is the, here's the parameters. And he wants us to live in those parameters because that's his discipline. That's where we grow. We don't go chasing after our own ideas and searching for what the world is trying to say is out there, which they can't really know what's out there and, and, and they lie about it, but we can't, life isn't grabbing all the gusto you can get. Life is, is living in a way that honors God. And we don't need to despise that or get angry at God when he disciplines us. That's one of the things that people do is they get angry at God and then they stop connecting with him and stop having a relationship with him, but he's trying to teach us and to guide us in a way that honors him and, and helps us to live a full and satisfying life. Verse 12, for the Lord, and there's that tetragrammaton again, indeed he does discipline, he does discipline um, the one he loves. If he didn't discipline us, he wouldn't love us. And when you discipline your children as much as your children don't think it's good for you to do you love them so you discipline them because you want them to be grow healthy and well and wise and all of that just as a father disciplines the son in whom he delights um, I suppose that if you didn't care so much about your kid you wouldn't discipline them but if you really really loved them you discipline them so just as a father will delight in a child and want the best for that child, so the father wants the best for us. And just as the father has to discipline the son, God has to discipline us as well. And that's important to understand. Well, these are the principles that Solomon gives us. And the one thing we need to do is to learn that uh, we as fathers need not only to tell our children this, but we don't want to be hypocritical in doing this. You know, you do what I tell you and not what I do. That's wrong. And that's what gets kids really upset, creates a whole lot of stress 
is because fathers tell kids what to do and then don't do their, their own thing. They don't live it. They don't try to show their kids what it means to be faithful to God and honor God. Uh, but good fathers are the ones that are, that are also living the life before their children. Good fathers are the ones who are trying really hard to live in such a way that their children see God and see Christ in them and that they respect that. There was a father, this is an unknown statement, there was a father who said one night he overheard his son pray. He heard his son pray. And the son said this, Dear God, make me the kind of man my daddy is. That's, that's pretty strong to hear your son say that. So that night, this father, he prayed too. And this is what he prayed. Dear God, make me the kind of man my son wants me to be. You see, if you're going to be a father... And I don't know why you wouldn't want to be a father. It's one of the greatest experiences in life. But it's also one of the most scariest experiences in life. But you want to be the kind of man that your son wants you to be. The kind of person that your son can look up to. The kind of person that you know that has led them to the Lord. And seeks to guide them to be faithful. I recently read about, um, I didn't see it, but one of the news networks found about 20 couples or 20 men who claimed that they were a better father because of abortion. And I thought, that makes no sense whatsoever. It's, it's false and bad logic and it's evil logic. This is what they said. They said they kept having, um, they had babies or, or got somebody pregnant and they aborted the baby. And now that they're ready to have a child, they're a better father because they aborted it when they weren't ready to be a father. But I don't see how anybody can say that they'd be a good father knowingly murdering the innocent and the unborn. There used to be what a slogan apparently that the National Urban League had. I don't know if they do now. They probably don't. But the slogan was, don't make a baby if you can't be a father. And I can't see how abortion makes anybody a better father. But I can see how God makes us good fathers. And how if we turn our hearts to God, then we will be one of those unsung unpraised and unnoticed assets of our society, as Billy Graham said, and yet one of the most valuable assets of our society. To quietly live in such a way that our children see Christ in us and we lead them to know the Savior that we know as well. We're going to have a hymn of invitation, Trust and Obey. I'll invite the musicians to come. Number 447 in the hymn book, I guess. Yeah. And um, as we stand and sing, let this be our call, not only to be fathers, but to be Christian parents to help our children come to know Christ.